Hey guys, it is Joe Wolverton, teacher of Liberty, back with you again. And just so it's clear, every Tuesday and Thursday, man, every Tuesday and Thursday. Now, I put it to come out at 4 p.m. Central Time. Now, sometimes it doesn't do exactly that. I don't, you know, I'm not in charge of the Google. And Google, the Google owns the YouTubes. I don't know, but I schedule it to come out Tuesday and Thursday, 4 p.m. Central. Do the math at home. Uh, Arizona, y'all are on Pacific right now, I think. It should just be called like independent time because y'all were like to the federal government. Yeah, we want to move everybody to the daylight. And you guys are like, no, we're not going to do that. That sounds ridiculous. That's like, you know, daylight savings, like cutting a foot off the top of the blanket, sewing it onto the bottom and saying the blanket is now longer. Come on now. Come on. Oh, beverage already. Man. Beverage today brought to you by the good people at the State House of Pennsylvania, a.k.a. Independence Hall. And this is We the People, the signing of the Constitution. And now it's time for everybody's favorite NPR show. What the heck are we talking about? Mm. You know, sometimes you just get a drink and you're like that's what it was all about all right commonplace books are y'all keeping them you you better be keeping them joey's always got his at hand i took so many oh my goodness y'all this week and i'm gonna start doing this thing there's a couple of things i'm gonna tell you we're gonna be doing i'm gonna tell you off the top here all right first of all i'm gonna share with you regularly not today but regularly a little segment I like to call, and if this was produced, you know, it would have like some kind of kooky like graphic, right? It'd be called, What Joey's Reading, you know, and there'd be like theme music, like maybe the reading rainbow, maybe the, re but I probably just like just now I'm going to get sued because I said that. But anyway, you know what I mean? And it'll show you what I'm genuinely reading that, that week, right? I read about uh, usually three or four books at a time, not at a time, like, lined up and, brr, brr, no, I'm not, like, I'm not, like, insane. I'm not, like, making macaroni art over at the asylum. I mean, you know, there's three or four books from which I read gen, uh, generally every week. And I used to keep them on the bedside table, but then bedside table started to look like Tower of Babel. And, uh, so I was like, or Jenga. Oh, trademark. Jenga with books, trademark, don't you dare try to make it, I will sue you. Um, I will sue you so hard, you will call it Suzanne. So, we're going to do a little segment, what Joey's reading, That's we're going to start that, and we're going to start this thing. Okay, so you see the books behind me, those, those are my legit books, that's not a green screen. Those are my legit, like, who would have a green screen with my initials, but anyway, uh... J-Dub, which is like, what well, people used to call me. They don't call me that anymore. J-Dub. People used to call me that. Now they just call me Joey. Well, they've always called me Joey. Dr. J. Daniel T. Jin used to call me that. That really I liked. Um, Zach Hansen called me Brother Wolverton one time, and I don't think anybody's ever called me anything that made me happier. That When he said it, we were at school, which made it sound odd, but... I was like, I really like that, you know. Anyway, he's about to get married. So if you're watching, Zach, congrats to you, my friend. Love you so much. Um, so 
what we're going to do with these books, back to the bookshelves. Sometimes let me, see, I'm going to start it again. Don't let me do, don't let me, it's like, it's like that guy said, um, I may not have walked the straight and narrow my whole life, but I've crossed it a lot. C'est moi. All right, so anyway, the books. And I have bookshelves in the other room. And what I've done is that we're going to do this. We're going to random number Jones. I'll have it, you know, I'll have a little thing that has a randomizer number. And it'll be one through, I think I said six of the bookshelves that will qualify. Because other ones, they're mixed kind of things. And so I wouldn't want to get a book that's like, gardening or you know what I mean or uh the things pigs eat you know what I'm saying like farming stuff so I think there's six bookshelves that I'm going to choose from and then ever how many bookcases and then ever how many shelves and we're going to randomly pick a book out of my library and then we're going to randomly pick a page from that book just to show you that all these things that our founding fathers read all of these books that they read, every page is a lesson. And I'm not kidding. So we're going to do those two things. What Joey's reading. And random book, random book. Pick a page in a random book. Then we'll see. People are smart. And the Founding Fathers read stuff we should read too. I, I, I think some of you are like, oh, I see why the record label dropped him now. All right. So. Commonplace books, keep them. What Joey's reading, going to be a segment, a regular segment. And random book, random book. Um, not necessarily by Random House. I have a lot of Penguin. Isn't Penguin owned by Random House, though? All right. Commonplace book, keep it. Um, no Teflon words. I'm explaining this to you. A couple of times, several times. I've had people email me and be like, Joey, I had to look up these words that you said. That's going to be true. Not necessarily because of my vocabulary, but because of the vocabulary of the people that we talk about and the books that we talk about and the other stuff. You might have to look up a word. That's good. Looking up a word, good. Letting words slide off you without knowing what it means, not good, less effective, because there are words, like you'll see one today in the stuff that I talk about today. There are words that if you don't understand what that word means, the whole meaning of that sentence, the powerful, profound meaning is lost. And if you gloss over it, or you're like, oh, I think I understand by context. No, no, don't do that. Look it up. Look at, you have your little piece of glass and bleep, bloop, bloop. Instead of looking up, you know, um, how I should do my eyebrows this week, you should look up what words mean sometimes. But do that. No Teflon words is the way. So I had a professor in college, just like everybody does. I had a professor in college that he, it is was his vocabulary that would leave the rest of us going, what did that mean? And so he explained to us, no Teflon. Teflon was the coating that we used to use back in like the 70s and 80s that would make pans nonstick. It was called Teflon. It probably gave us all cancer or, you know, who knows, right? It made, it made me bald. 
No, it didn't. Because now DuPont, who made Tev now DuPont. So now we got Random House suing me. The people that made Reading Rainbow suing me. I got me suing you for stealing book Jenga. And now I've got DuPont uh, suing me for saying Teflon Gate made me bald. My mom's dad made me bald. You know, that's that gene. And he was, man. He Listen, but the hair I do have is, is lovely. Anyway, that doesn't matter. Back to the story. No Teflon words. Don't let words roll off you, man. Don't do it. Okay? I... I know you got, maybe some of you tune in and you think, all right, this time, dude is going to get right into the story. That will never happen. Because I want to just have a, a real conversation with y'all, like a real relationship with y'all. I don't want it to be like, I don't know. I don't want to name names. But if you want somebody's going to be like, mm, this is what Joe Biden did today. And Joe Biden's, you know, I, I'm not that guy. I want to have a relationship. I want to just relax. I'm going to sit in my chair. Y'all sit in your chair you or, or wherever you're sitting or driving, whatever y'all are doing. Working out. I hear that's a thing that people do. People work out. I'm not exactly sure what. Like work out their problems. Maybe that's what people mean. Go to the gym. I, you know, it's been so long since I've been to the gym. I have to call it James. Let's just be honest with each other. So, no Teflon words. If I say a word that y'all don't know the meaning of, look it up. Because I'm not going to always stop and say, this means... Because, I, yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but it won't matter to you if I tell you. You need to look it up and be like, okay. And there's going to be one today. And I think I'm going to give you... A, I'm a th I think I'm going to give you a free one today. I might. It's going to be my mood by the time we get there, okay? Next, I want to introduce y'all to something here. This is a little book from 1858. It's one of my prized possessions, but it's also something I use all the time. It's called The Scholar's Companion. And it's from 1858. You can see it's a little book, just a little guy, just a little guy. And it was a spelling book, more or less, for people in like the third grade in 18, 1858. And that's not, I mean, I use it because in my in classroom, I will like have a little competition and we can't really do that here. It's when I do one of my lives, we can, which would be fun, but it gives the Latin, the English words that are derived from Latin roots and Greek roots. And it says what the root word means in Latin and then what English words we get from it and what those, what that English word means. Like, liber means book in Latin. I'll just give you one. Liber, I just want to turn to. Liber means book, right, in Latin. Well, you can imagine some words we get from that. Library, libelous, you know, like libel, book, like it's printing, right? Um, yeah, so anyway. Uh, yeah. So this is for like third graders. It has Greek and Latin words and the English words that derive from them. Third grade, 1858. But now, the reason I wanted to bring this up today, besides that, and it's an awesome, the Scholar's Companion. I mean, even the name is cool. But I wanted to read, this is from a text, do you understand textbook? It's from a textbook. Okay. 
this is not this is not Sunday school book. This is a textbook that they would use in schools. And I mean, you can just look at the, I don't know how to do the zoom in, but you can see on the binding, they're just such, it's just quality. It's just, they cared. Like third graders, you know, it's like this beautiful. But anyway, I wanted to read you this from the introduction. Uh, It says Philadelphia, June, 1854. B.W. Bailey is the guy who wrote the introduction. It says, um, definitely the study of words is the object of this treatise intended to initiate the young learner early into the habit of a critical definition of the language he uses. If third graders can spell cat, they get to bring a, uh, you know, a certificate home. Uh, These guys were learning Latin and Greek roots. The critical definitions of the language they use. Johnny spelled cat, and everybody who does that gets a certificate, and... We're going to have a graduation ceremony for the second grade. Beyond, stop it, Joe. Stop. Beyond mere orthography. Do you know what that means? Orthography. There's your first no Teflon word. Beyond mere orthography and correct pronunciation. It is designed, now listen to this. It is designed to introduce the young mind into the inner life of words and thus into the inner life of the soul. It is a spelling book, but that's not all. It teaches correct pronunciation, but that's not all. It is a defining dictionary, but still more. It discriminates the shades of difference in words, in thought, and contributes eminently to form the mind to truth and the character to uprightness, and the soul for its immortal destiny. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a spelling book for third graders from 1858. I just, you know, just thought I'd share with you. Can you imagine that? You, you'd get fired. I think if you said the soul is immortal, you'd get fired today as a teacher. You know, I, I, seriously, I think, I think, just this book is supposed to form your mind to truth, your character to uprightness, and your soul for its immortal destiny. And you know, it. It, it just wanted to give you an example. All right. Shall we talk about the stuff we're talking about today? Joey, you've spent now 15 minutes, son, of my time wasting it talking about your, your, your bookcases and other things. I don't know. What was I even talking about? No Teflon words. Commonplace book. Make sure you keep it. It's the, it's the difference, man. Keep your commonplace book. You don't have to, right? Of course you don't have to. You don't have to keep your commonplace book. Just like you don't have to read the books our founding fathers read. You don't have to. Just like you don't have to look up words that you don't understand. There's little things. Like I said, history turns on little fulcrums, man. There's little things that's going to determine, distinguish between leaders and followers. And it's like my dad always said, lead, follow, or get out of the way. And that's fine. You get to choose. That's, that's, thou mayest choose for thyself. But if you're someone who wants to be 
wants to qualify for that sort of leadership that we're going to need those sons of liberty 2.0 then you're going to need to do the heavy lifting that our founding fathers did all right speaking of our founding fathers should i do a bizarre you know i can do lots of lots of accents because i lived all over you know i live near southerning it doesn't matter joey go washington adams franklin madison tucker one of those last names you're like nope tucker talking today about a forgotten founding father saint george tucker now everybody if if there was justice in the world if education wasn't under the control of people that want to keep you ignorant you would not only know who saint george tucker is you would have read his book in school right and i'm not talking like college right you would have read his book in elementary school you would know the concept that there is a forgotten founding father who made the contribution saint george tucker made to this country is a shanda it's a shame it's it's terrible okay his name purposely scrubbed from the curriculum from the from the memory of americans and when you read his books his his book and his essays you quickly learn why they don't want you reading his stuff anymore i mean it's it's instantly okay saint george tucker uh he was a virginian called himself virginian but he was born in bermuda okay bermuda bahamas come he was not in the beach boys but he was a boy he probably played on the beach but not in the beat not the official band he was he was like pete best never mind uh that was your crazy band reference if you got your bingo card out crazy band reference it's like that all right born july 10th 1752 so what 271 years this month because this is still july right yep it sure is 271 years this week saint george Tucker, the youngest of six children shocker all the founding fathers families had a bunch of kids because the more kids you have the less work each one of you have to do right so he grew up on his family's estate in bermuda it's called grove plantation um yeah july 10th 1752 saint george tucker born in bermuda Grove Plantation, youngest of six. As a young child, okay, St. George Tucker was very curious and studious, and this is something you'll again notice as a trend. He, his original plan, he's like, I want to study law. I want to be a lawyer, as you guys, a lawyer, which, no, there's no such thing as a lawyer. Please don't say lawyer. You don't study law. You don't go to law school. You're a lawyer because you studied law and you went to law school. So don't say lawyer. You're a lawyer. Calm down with your stuff. You need to open Scholar's Companion is what you need to do. Get your mind ready for its immortal destiny. So that was his plan. But his family, man, a lot of us today would identify with this aspect of St. George Tucker's biography. He, as an adult, but as a younger person, he and his family, they went through a lot of economic difficulties right his dad you know they owned their own business and sometimes business wasn't good 
and it had big effect on his life, but you'll see that he he turned that frown upside down is what he did. So, I want, but I do want to say something about this because he was young and he was curious and studious and there's a lesson to be learned here, guys. The, the lesson is that all of these guys, Adams, Jefferson, Madison, Washington, St. George Tucker, John Taylor of Caroline, another guy we'll be talking about, forgotten founding father, they, they all say like in their letters or in their journals or somewhere, they indicate that they understood that they were meant to do something important and they understood it at a very young age. And they all say that they were, you know, guided in that direction by usually their mother. Thomas Jefferson uh, attributes it to his dad. But all of them mention this, you know, that when they were very young, we're talking like 9, 10, up through like 14. And there is a, a lesson, guys. You know, when they say, James Madison said, my mother, you know, she guided me, Thomas Jefferson, my father, James, John Adams says it was his mother. All of these talking about how their parents very young noticed that they were studious and curious and that they had more of a, maybe a, a sober attitude, more, you know, a little bit more serious. And they, even as children, recognized that they were, there was something different about their life. And it is really hard, guys, for parents today to be able to notice those things about their children when they only see their children for a couple of hours a day because for the rest of the time, they're off letting strangers teach them stuff that may or may not be true. Now, I'm going to stop there and let you, you know, I'll leave it up to you to interpret that how you want. But remember that I said that the founding fathers as children, as teenagers, recognized the important work that they were going to do. And it's really hard. And they were guided by their parents. And it's really hard for a mom to, or parents at all, to guide, to notice these things about their children and, you know, help them achieve that when they're, you know, when they see him at home for a couple of hours before, you know, it's eight hours of school, five hours of homework, then you go to bed and whatever. You know what I'm saying? So there's a lesson there. But as you'll see about St. George Tucker, he was young, curious, and studious, wanted to be a lawyer. But family, yeah, it's not going to happen, son. We need to, need to aim a little lower. No, said St. George Tucker. I will not aim lower. I will find a way to accomplish all of my most worthwhile goals. So at 19 years old, he immigrated to America. And when he got here, he's like, I'm going to get a job and I'm going to study and become a lawyer. Because he's like, if we're going to be broke in Bermuda, I would rather be broke in America where there's more opportunity. Because... The opportunities in America were vastly outnumbered any of those anywhere. So that was a thing. If you're British and you want to just have a go, you 
go to America. So St. George Tucker goes. He settles in Virginia. He had a Reverend Thomas Watkin. That was kind of his tutor at first. Now, you'll notice that a lot of these people that become tutors are either reverends or lawyers. Because back then, that's the only people that would go to university. People that wanted to be lawyers or people that wanted to be uh, clerics, you know, churchmen, reverends, pastors, that kind of thing. That was it, right? That's why most of your universities, original ones, were founded by churches, right? You wouldn't know that today from the way they act, but they were mostly founded by churches, and that's why. So uh, St. George Tucker studies under Reverend Guatkin. He studies natural law. He studies Cicero, Tacitus, um, Algernon Sidney, um, James Harrington. He studies these things, and then he's like, you know what? I'm going to enroll in the College of William and Mary. Now, that if you've been to Williamsburg, you know the College of William and Mary. Thomas Jefferson went there. A lot of Most of your Virginians would go, who were going to go to college went to the College of William and Mary. However, James Madison, remember, he didn't. He went to what was called at the time the College of New Jersey, which we call Princeton, because the story is because he, his parents didn't want him to go to college where it would be the, the, as humid because it was bad for his lungs. I don't really think that's what happened because he lived in that same, you know what I mean? I think it was they liked the, the brand of education they would get, he would get in uh, Princeton but so he goes to college of William and Mary but guess what now his parents are like yep that's awesome we'll we have had a good year and then they have another bad year and he has to drop out of college so he found a tutor he had to drop out of college there was nothing no no getting around it okay they didn't have the money to pay for college Right. There wasn't, you know, Joe Biden around to forgive his loans if he took out loans. There were no loans. I mean, that's just the way it was. So he had to drop out of college because his parents just having bad times financially. So he drops out. But undaunted, he sought out a tutor. He found probably the best lawyer, the best tutor in all of Virginia, George Wythe. Now, I, another forgotten founding father, George Wythe, oh my good, guys, speaking of his mom noticing, now his mom died when he was very young, but she would teach him English, Latin, and Greek all at the same time. Like this dude, oh my gosh. Mm, please have a beverage. Um, so he sought out George Wythe. Now, there is a lesson here. St. George Tucker did not allow his family's financial misfortunes to prevent him from being educated. No, he was not going to get a pretty piece of paper that said, Be it known unto all that St. George Tucker is really smart. Right? He wouldn't have a nice piece of paper put in a frame that had the name of a college. Family couldn't afford that. He took it upon himself. I need to find someone that can teach me the law. George Wythe agreed. You know, you, you got to shoot your shot, man. George Wythe, that's the best you could have gotten. Why not ask? So he did, and George Wythe became his tutor. And 
you don't be discouraged. Don't give up. If your family or yourself, you have financial problems, so did, you know, every, James Madison died penniless. Like his wife had to sell things he wrote just to stay, buy food. Like there are other founding fathers bringing food to Dolly Madison, right? And the reason I'm saying that is don't be discouraged and don't look and think, oh, they were super wealthy. Yeah, they had a nice house that their great-great-grandpa gave them and was paid for, and they had land that was paid for. But St. George Tucker, his family had really bad financial problems. He had to drop out of school, you know, college. Don't let these things discourage you. Don't let them dissuade you from seeking, you know, to be what you want to be. Overcome your obstacles. I mean, it's like Marcus Aurelius, the great Stoic, said, the obstacle is the way. Would, would St. George Tucker be the man he became if he hadn't studied under George With? Probably not. J just persevere, guys. Persevere. Stick, right? Be steadfast. Long-suffering. All of that. Persevere. A friend of mine, Michael Smart, if you're watching, hello, Michael. He sent me a prayer that was um, from St. Catherine of Siena. And in it, it was basically about this whole thing about hope. It was about having hope even when things seem hopeless. And she said something in there, and I wanted to read it to you. She says, the crown of victory, now listen, the crown of victory is placed on the brow of perseverance. Do you get it? Keep going forward. Even the founding fathers had money problems, health problems, but they found ways around them. If he hadn't been forced to drop out of school and have George with as his teacher, I don't think he would have become a forgotten founding father. He never would have been a founding father. Right? He'd have just been another, you know what I'm saying? So the obstacle is the way. You can't go to college. Maybe that's directing you towards something better. Whatever. You know, your health is bad, so maybe you have to stay in and read where other people are out. Whatever. Use the obstacle as the way to be something great. And that, the, the crown of victory is placed on the brow of perseverance, guys. Push through it. The obstacle is the way. Push through it. So, after two years under Wythe's tutelage, uh, St. George Tucker applied to the bar of Virginia, and he passed. And about that time, everything was starting to really heat up with England. All right? So, he just... He studied under Saint George or under George With. He go. Remember, I already explained to you how back in the day you wouldn't like fill out an application and take the LSAT and all that kind of stuff. You would just take a bar exam. You would go and people would ask you questions about the law. They would give you hypotheticals and never how you answered. That panel had to, if they unanimously agreed, then you were a lawyer. Ding. So we got to hang out his shingle. You know, that's what they call it when you practice your own, you know, when you have your own practice. They call it hanging out your shingle, meaning a sign like it says, St. George Tucker, attorney at law or Esquire. Uh, that's what I wish people would call me. Joe Wolverton, Esquire. No, don't, don't call me that. But it sounds funny. So just prior to the outbreak of War for Independence, as you probably know, maybe you don't, England shut down the courts in the colonies because they're like, no, nah, we want you guys to be sent to England for trial. 
We don't think self-government, not for you guys. It's for us, but not for you guys. So guess what happened to St. George Tucker? That's right. He became Superman. The yellow sun, you know. He had to, he lost his job. There's a pattern running through St. George Tucker's life. So he becomes a lawyer. Yay, he overcomes. Yay, and he gets to be a lawyer, and he's practicing law and doing well finally. And then England says, no more courts for you, and now he's broke. So he's like so many people. He's like, mm, what do I do now? Move back home. He literally does. He moves back to Bermuda, and here we go again. But let me tell you this my friends, if St. George Tucker hadn't had dropped out of school, he wouldn't have had George with. If he hadn't had George with, he wouldn't have been a lawyer. If they hadn't taken over the courts, he wouldn't have been forced to quit working as a lawyer. And if he hadn't had, it, it, there is a chance that the colonies don't win the war. St. George Tucker is so important. What happens next is so important to the war effort, but never taught, because then you might learn to have hope and courage and faith and all of this instead of crying and mommy didn't hug me and that's why I can't be anything important or whatever. You know, I'm not mocking. I'm just saying you can overcome stuff. So St. George Tucker, they close down the courts. He loses, has to move home to Bermuda to work for his dad, try to help there. Well, guess what? The war breaks out and... He, this is one of those kooky things. So Thomas Jefferson, he knew from the time he was at uh, William and Mary before he had to drop out. And he's talking to Thomas Jefferson. He's like, you know, there's a ammunition uh, factory in Bermuda. So he, he knows he's headed home. He's like, hey, TJ, just, I don't know, FYI, it just occurred to me, there is an ammunition factory in Bermuda near my house. I don't know if it'll mean anything to you, but I'm out. See you later. And so it ends up that Henry Tucker, St. George Tucker's dad, gets with Benjamin Franklin and says, I don't know about you, Ben. Can I call you Ben? No. Okay, Jamin. Jamin, I think a thing is we can, we have ships. We have a couple of boats. Let's not call them ships. We have some boats. I have my son, St. George. It was his mom's idea. Don't, don't look at me like that. You, his mom named him St. George. Uh, you talk to her. Actually, don't. Do not mention it to her. Oh, my goodness. She gets so mad. Why are you telling people that I named him that? Because you did. Well, you don't have to tell her. Don't mention it, Jamin. Okay? So, anyway, we have some boats. St. George is home. He's, he calls himself a Virginian now. He pretty much lost his English accent. And we have ammunition here. We have some bullets and stuff down here and some boats. And, and Jamin is like, he's like, yeah, appreciate you, Henry. By the way, good on your mom for naming you something normal. But there is a blockade embargo. We're not allowed to get anything from anywhere but England, and they show enough ain't going to send us guns and or bullets and gunpowder to kill them with their own stuff. And Henry's like, mm-hmm. But our boats ha are English. 
and Bermuda's English, and we could probably sneak by the British Navy boats. And he's like, you know, you know what I'm talking about, little. And Jamin is like, hmm, 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 yes. So what happens to ships carrying ammunition, gunpowder, sail to America to a very, very, very grateful Continental Army? George Washington, I mean, it's, guys, I know you think it's an exaggeration. It isn't. I mean, you had people melting down their... If they had silverware, they would melt it. If they had, you know, a, a coffee pot, they were melting this to have bullets, you know, little balls, ammunition for the Continental Army, for the militia, the Virginia militia. They, they didn't have stuff. And so for two ships to arrive full of gunpowder and ammunition George Washington was extremely grateful profoundly thankful that Ben Franklin and you know Henry Tucker were able to work out this deal that brought you know because that yeah anyway and later in life St. George Tucker said yeah I worked you know hauling casks of of ammunition onto those or ammunition casks of uh, gunpowder onto those ships so do you see the connection there? He loses his job. He has to go home. He's thinking, I'm just going to work on my dad's farm. And war breaks out. And, you know, telling TJ, he's like, that's crazy that, you know, we're at war with England and there's this ammunition thing. And he's like, hmm. Anyway, do you see what I'm saying? The obstacle became the way. We needed, the, the Continental Army needed, the Virginia militia needed that ammunition, that gunpowder. And so it's very possible that had it not been for him losing his job and having to find another way, and that way being supplying ammunition to the war effort. Um, so Tucker, St. George Tucker, he's, he becomes like the liaison between his family getting the, you know, ammunition and gunpowder and everything, getting it ready and... and getting it to America and who it needed to go to. Because St. George Tucker, living in Virginia all that time, he, you know, he knew people. He knew George Washington, he knew Thomas Jefferson. He knew ways who to, you know, because Henry Tucker is in Bermuda overseeing everything. So St. George becomes the liaison. He's like, okay, I know where to take it. I know who needs it, all of that kind of stuff. Um, now, obviously, this required St. George Tucker and, his dad and George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin and the entire Continental Army who used the ammunition to break the law. Now, did they break the law? No. No. No, they did not break the law. That was not a law. That was Parliament trying to impoverish the Americans to force them to surrender. It was not just, and that which is not just is not law, and that which is not law ought not be obeyed. It was Parliament and the King that were breaking the law. 
they were breaking the law. The Americans, that's why I don't call it the American Revolution. They weren't trying to overthrow one government and install another. That's a revolution. They had been self-governing since Jamestown. England came in, took away their self-government, and so what the colonists were doing were restoring, right? It was a restoration, not a revolution. The king and parliament violated the English constitution in order to oppress the Americans and force them into accepting second-class status. So, did these people break the law? No. Because law isn't just whatever a politician says, right? That, that, that's not what the word law means. Law is a word with a definition. And that definition isn't whatever a lawmaking body passes and calls law. Cicero explains it really well in his book On the Laws. If you went to a doctor, you know, let's say you had a, a really bad headache, you went to the doctor, and the doctor prescribes, um, and he takes his little, you know, prescription pad, and he writes, blah, blah, he's like, here, drink a gallon of gasoline twice a day, every day for the next two weeks. Would you do it? No. The power, something is only law if such a law is within the power of the one claiming to be making it law. Okay. Just because Congress passes something and the president signs it, that doesn't make it law. That means they're attempting to make it law. The people decide if it's law. The states, actually, the states who represent the political interests of the people, they decide if it's law. And how do you decide? If it's in pursuance of Article 6 of the Constitution. If it's constitutional power granted to them, then they can do it, and it's law, and we have to obey. That's moral and legal obligation. If they do things that exceed the powers that the states gave them in the Constitution, that thing isn't law. It's like Alexander Hamilton said, that's not law. That's tyranny, and it deserves to be treated as such. Right? So St. George Tucker, all these guys, they were not breaking the law. I've seen memes, and they're like, you need to remind that our founding fathers were lawbreakers. I know what they mean. Technically, yes, they were breaking a, something that was purportedly law. But you need to understand, they weren't breaking the law. They were trying to restore the law. Right? So, law is a word with a meaning, and it isn't just whatever these lawmaking bodies. Because they're granted specific powers, guys. They don't just have the power, whatever we say is a law because we're the lawmakers. No, we granted you power to say, it's like I used to tell students. If I say, read this chapter in this book for next class, it's homework, is that a law? Yeah. I mean, not tech, you know what I'm saying? That's something they're obliged to do because I'm their teacher, and that's within the scope of my authority that their parents granted me. But if I said, hey, guys, tonight you need to go to bed at 8 o'clock, and every night you need to go to bed at 8 o'clock, and you, make, you need to make sure that every day you're having stake would that be would they be obliged to obey that no because it's beyond the scope of my authority congress has limits to their authority the president has limits well who enforces the limits the states the state governments and if the state governments won't 
then we have to. And we need to recognize that. So, did they break the law? No. No. That law was breaking the law, if you know what I mean. All right? But remember that. Just because lawmakers say it doesn't make it law. President can, they can have 30 people behind him as he uses 20 pens to sign. doesn't make it a law. doesn't make it a law. If it's not in the Constitution, it ain't a law. It's the power to, to legislate in that area, right? Then it's not a law. Tyranny deserves to be treated as tyranny. So, St. George Tucker, though, he's like, I love that I get to give you guys bullets, but I would really like to be using the bullets. So he joined the Virginia militia, served as a major under Nathaniel Green at the Battle of Guilford Courthouse. Uh, he received wounds at this battle. He was very noted for his bravery, and he was promoted to lieutenant colonel. So Battle of Guilford Courthouse. You know I'm always telling you guys? To like find out how your family, you know, how your family um, intersects with history. So this is one, the Battle of Guilford Courthouse. Do this because you will have these same stories. My dad's side of the family, they ran a church, right? They were the, the leaders of his church right next to Guilford Courthouse. They opened the church and used it as a hospital for wounded Americans, and members of the congregation served them and treated the wounded, right? That's an awesome thing to know that St. George Tucker was wounded. He was taken to the hospital. My ancestor might have been the one giving, you know, wrapping his wounds, giving him something to drink, all of that. Now, I'm not saying that so you're like, whoa, that's so cool. I'm thinking that your family has that stuff too. And if you already know, tell me in the comments. Say, oh, yeah, my family, blah, blah, you know. My, my dad was Nathaniel Green, or whatever, you know, my grandpa, whatever. Do that, but find the way your family intersects with history. It makes it more alive to know that St. George Tucker is amazing. Battle of Guilford Courthouse, he got wounded. That's just, I don't know, to me, that's cool. Find out how your family, you know, took part in history. It, it, it's, and then tell me, tell me in the comments, if you know. If you don't know, go find it, right? I remember when we went to Plymouth, when I took a bunch of students to Plymouth, and I'm like, Let's find out. Uh, we need to know before we get off this bus. I don't want you just running around Plymouth and then get off and someday realize, oh my gosh, I was in Plymouth and I was really... We found out people were direct ancestors on that bus. Some of those kids were direct ancestors of some of those Pilgrim Mayflower families. Right? Find out how your family fits in. It's, it's awesome. Now... St. George Tucker goes on, uh, he heals from his wounds, and then he goes to participate in the Battle of Yorktown, uh, and he was injured there too, and his military career came to an end. There were pretty serious injuries at the Battle of Yorktown. Um, now, I'll tell you something interesting to me. A lot of other people say it's interesting. I think it's interesting. So St. George Tucker, you know, I learned about him years ago, and his house at Williamsburg, so when I was taking students to Williamsburg on a history tour, uh, they would not let us go in St. George Tucker's house because it's there and it's lovely, but you only get to go in there if you're like a donor, like a big-time donor to Colonial Williamsburg. So anyway, I was on the phone one year, and I was calling them, trying to beg to let the, my students 
go to the St. George Tucker house because I just wanted them because I'd talked to them about him and I wanted them to be able to see his house and we're going to Williamsburg and I'm so I'm talking to the lady you know trying to sweet talk her hey you know we got some students why did I turn into Bill Clinton that's wrong I was like hey we you know I'm bringing some students we've studied St. Blah 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 and she's like well what's your name I'll talk and I said Joe Wolverton she's like Joe Wolverton she's like did you write an article a biography of St. George Tucker, an article about that. And I'm like, I did, yeah, yeah. She's like, we give that away to our donors in the packet that we give them. We give them a copy of that article you wrote. And I'm like, that's so cool, great, that's awesome. I hope they enjoy it. It's like, it is amazing. Yes, you can come. Of course you can come. We'd be so proud. My kids get to go. There are so many obstacles away stories there, how I ended up doing that. But the point is, we got to go to St. George Tucker's house. And we got the we got the VIP treatment. We got to sit in the like cool like lounge with the rich people. We didn't get any cigars or cognac. But we we got to go in St. George Tucker's house and get the whole tour and sit in the nice places and stuff because I wrote that biography. And then the lady was so grateful. She gave me a copy of St. George Tucker's journal where he describes his uh, service at the Battle of Yorktown, which was a huge honor. I mean, getting to go to his house was a huge honor, you know. So, anyway. Um, just basically, I guess the lesson there is find out how you can honor our founding fathers. I mean, reading the Constitution, reading the Declaration, understanding those things would be a big way to honor them. But, you know, just let wherever they are, let them know that you appreciate the sacrifice that they made. So, he, his military career was over. St. George Tucker, military career over now. He's wounded pretty badly at Yorktown. But, of course, Yorktown was, you know, pretty much the end of the war. So, it again opened, you know, one door closes and another one opens. And so, he starts at this time, you know, you know just right after that, within a few years, we have the Constitution. St. George Tucker writes a book called View of the Constitution where it kind of he goes methodically through the Constitution explaining the meaning and the purpose of the different parts of the Constitution. And he also writes commentaries on Blackstone's commentaries, like taking out the the monarchical stuff and making it more, you know, Republican with a small R, meaning, you know, more self-governing. No, not a king. We don't do that here. We're a republic. And so he changes them a little. And they make him a professor at William and Mary. Guys, think about it. The college where he had to drop out of because of his parents' economic misfortunes is now the college where he's a professor. And the book he wrote is a textbook. Guys, that's, that's a pretty, that's a lesson, man. You get kicked out, so what? Persevere. This guy becomes a, can you imagine how it must have felt when they, you know, people are reading his book, they're like, we need to use this at our college. And then he becomes a professor at the college where he had to drop out. Yeah, that had to feel, that had to feel really good. And the book was published in 1803, and this is it. I almost forgot to show you the book. I, you can get a copy of it from Liberty Fund. Guys, Liberty Fund, make Liberty Fund your friend. 
I'm hopeful that if we get enough people subscribing to this, Liberty Fund will give me a discount code so that y'all can get money off your Liberty Fund purchases because it'd be awesome if you did. So here we go. This is St. George Tucker's view of the Constitution with selected other writings. And there's our boy, St. George Tucker. There you go. Can you see it? Can you see everything? Can you see everything? All right. So view of the Constitution, 1803. Liberty Fund has copies of this. This is my second. You can see this is like super tight, so it's like not the one I study. But anyway, I digress. So in this, um, Liberty Fund, in their introduction, calls this the first extended systematic commentary on the United States Constitution after its ratification and later its amendment by the Bill of Rights. This is the first time that someone said, all right, and someone of St. George Tucker's mental quality, right? He sits down, he's like, I'm going to take the Constitution, describe because he's one of, you know, he knows the people that were there that did it. So he has that intimate knowledge that other people wouldn't have. And he's like, and he's a lawyer trained under George with, right? I mean, come on. And so he knows intimately what went down. And so he's like, I'm going to explain what the Constitution is, how it came to be, how it's meant to function, what the things in there mean, all of that. And this was used as a textbook for a hundred years in college. A hundred years this was used as a textbook in college. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, the introduction says um, that generations of American law students, lawyers, judges, and statesmen learned their Blackstone and their understanding of the Constitution through St. George Tucker's book. That's a pretty, yeah, cool. It'd be they, generations of Americans learned their Blackstone and their understanding of the Constitution through Joe Wolver. You know, that dude somewhere, he's over there. He's like, that was me. I did that. St. George Tucker. Do you understand that there's, this is not the textbook. It's, think about why. Why was it good enough for a hundred years? And then all of a sudden, why? Okay. I was a law student not a Loy student. I didn't go to Loy school. I went to law school. I was a law student. Studied the Constitution three hours a day for a year in class. Guess what? Never opened the bloody Constitution in my constitutional law class in law school. Never once. Never. Never. Never got mentioned this. St. George, never. Right. Never any of the treatises that were written explained, never, never opened the Constitution. We read Supreme Court opinions about the Constitution and then pretended that that was the Constitution. And I say pretended because it wasn't, but it's like, well, this is what the Constitution is, whatever the Supreme Court says it is. You know, that's weird because it does not say that in the Constitution. It doesn't mention that at all as one of the powers of the Supreme Court. But if we all wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and agree, no, that still doesn't make it so. We can all agree to tyranny. That doesn't make tyranny a good government, right? So we may say the Supreme Court decides what the Constitution says. It doesn't, and it's not given that power at all. And someone will say, well, Marbury versus Madison. You can't have a Supreme Court decide the limits of its own power. That's ridiculous. That's like you going to a job and they're like, all right, so it pays 70000 a year. You're like, no, it pays 
270000 a year. Okay. You can't have the Supreme Court telling us what the Supreme Court's power is. So don't Marbury versus Madison me, son. It's called the Four Corners Doctrine. It's either in the Constitution or it's not. If it's not in there, the federal government can't do it. Simple as that. So things that make you go, hmm, why for 100 years they study this, the Constitution and its explanation in St. George Tucker's view of the Constitution, then also because the federal government started putting it little fingered. They're like, we cannot let knowledge will forever govern ignorance. If you want to be ignorant and free, you want what never was or what never will be. We have to keep these people ignorant if we expect them to swallow everything that we send down the pipe and consider it law. We have got to keep them ignorant, don't, but don't burn the book. Just don't talk about it anymore. Take it off the curriculum. That next generation will never, hey, do you have St. Are we not going to read St. George Tucker's book? Oh, we don't read that anymore. Guess what? That next generation won't even ask about it, right? I, I never did. I didn't know about it. In college, I wasn't like, hey, how come we're not in law school? How come we're not reading St. George Tucker? Didn't even know who he was. So you see, how many generations did it take? Just a couple. So anyway. This is the 271st anniversary of his birth, and I think it's time we reintroduce 21st century patriots, this book that comes from the pen of a forgotten founding father who deserves to be remembered. He is an advocate, of course, of limited government and the state's obligation to reject and refuse to enforce any unconstitutional act of the federal government, any act that exceeds the boundaries of the powers that the states gave to the federal government in the Constitution, the states not only have the right, they have the duty, the obligation to refuse to enact that because that is tyranny and the states are meant to stand as a barricade between the tyrants in Washington, D.C. and us. St. George Tucker explains how that's constitutional and good and how that is actually makes us stronger as a union, right? All of this is explained in a view of the Constitution in a very orderly, understandable, very systematic way. And for that reason, we don't study it. But it's, just, it's the month of his 271st birthday as a present. We're going to go over some of the stuff he wrote in view of the Constitution. How's that sound? So, I'll be back with part two, and we will. it's time for you to get yourself a beverage, refill your beverage, as I'm going to do, do whatever it takes, uh, stretch, you know, make sure you watch, you know, it's time for you to stand, obey your digital overlord, and stand up. I'm going to do the same, and then we'll be right back with some, we're going to read some of St. George Tucker's stuff together, Yeah. And we're going to give him that birthday present. We're going to read some of his stuff. So be right back, guys. Mmm. A beverage. All right. Be right back. All right, y'all. It's your boy Joey. We're back this time to read some stuff out of St. George Tucker's view of the Constitution. Now, I'm not like you know. I'm not going to be like whoosh, 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 with the book. I put it here so I could read it to you. But I would encourage you, please, if you guys. And I'm going to say this about lots of books. Not everyone. But, like, I'm not going to say go out and get the Scholar's Companion. You know. But Liberty Fund does a great job making really attractive books, really good binding and everything, and really cheap. And they're doing this because the, you know, most of the money came from a family, the Goodrich family, that made money and wanted to uh, help make, you know, America or keep America strong. And so, you know, 
I'm going to recommend that you buy many of these, not all of them, but view the Constitution of the United States with selected writings from St. George Tucker. Do yourselves a solid. Go over to Liberty Fund and do that. Okay, so first up, Tucker divides the essays into two parts. First is a recitation of the how the Constitution got made, right? Uh, the nature of the Confederacy that made it. And you're like, Confederacy? I didn't know this about the South. It's not. The United States of America is a confederacy, is a confederation of independent sovereign republics. If you don't know that, read Federalist 39 and then come back. So push pause on Joey, then come back and you'll read and you'll say, sorry, Joey, for thinking you were wrong. And I'll be like, that's okay, man. We all get stuff wrong. So and then the second part of the book is a description of the uh, you know, the intended lines of authority between the states and the federal government. And believe me, guys, in our time where the federal government has no limits, according to them and according to half of Americans, it is a good time to learn the limits. And this is a good, easy way. You read your Constitution and study it with this as a way to explain many of the things. So, First part, how the Constitution was made. St. George Tucker explains it this way. The Constitution of the United States of America, then, is an original, written, federal, and social compact, freely, voluntarily, and solemnly entered into by the several states of North America and ratified by the people thereof, respectively whereby the several states and the people thereof, respectively, have bound themselves to each other and to the federal government of the United States, and by which the federal government is bound to the several states and to every citizen of the United States. Now, two words in there that really need explaining. Compact and federal. No Teflon words, remember? But those two words... They're words that the Founding Fathers used all the time, so I want to make sure and explain them. And when it comes to a compact, what is a compact? Tucker explains it in the book. He says the contracting parties, whether considered as states in their political capacity and character or as individuals. So in other words, if you consider it a state or you want to think of them as people, the states as people, they are all equal. Nor is there anything granted from one to another but each stipulates to part with and receive the same thing precisely without any distinction or difference in favor of any of the parties. Now, so in other words, the states all got together. The states are all, they're, they're not giving each other something. They're all giving a little bit of their sovereignty in writing, hence the word grant. They're granting to this thing they're creating, this federal government, a little bit of the power that belongs to them. Right? And they all contribute the same amount. And that's it. Right? They don't make, there's no promises with each other. It's all, we're going to get together. We're going to create this thing. We're each going to give them a little something. But we're all equal. We're all sovereign, republics, and equal. Right? Remember Federalist 39. If you, I mean, it's easier. If you don't have St. George Tucker, get Federalist 39. It's, it's really good. 39, 45, 46. Read all of those. All right. So who are the compacting parties? Who are the parties to this contract? Um, and I want to tell you something. That there are some of you out there who are like, Joey, these, these questions, the answers are so simple. And they're not. So you may think it's simple for you, and that's awesome, and I'm glad you know that much. 
Be careful thinking you know something you don't, though. Right? Um, and for five generations, Americans have been taught lies about the Constitution in school. Right? We have been taught lies in school about the Constitution. And you remember what our boy Thucydides said. That people just tend to believe whatever they're taught first. And then getting them to believe the truth is nearly impossible. Right? So when I ask these questions, and some of you think they're very easy, I would say two things. Number one, no, they're not. Congratulations for knowing. But number two, I would listen anyway if I were you because maybe what you thought was right isn't right. Okay? So here's what St. George Tucker writes. Who are the contracting parties who are entering into this contract? A federal compact made with several sovereign and independent states that unite themselves together in a perpetual confederacy without each ceasing to be a perfect state. There's a lot in there, man. A federal compact, federal. It's just from the Latin word meaning trust or faith, right? We're trusting each other to create this thing and we're trusting it to stay inside its boundaries. There's a lot of trust going on. It's a federal lots of independent sovereigns coming together to form this government that will have something about all of them, the general welfare as opposed to the specific, you know, not just Tennessee, not just Arizona, not just California, but the general welfare. So they're creating this, but they are not. So they're creating this confederacy. Did you notice he said that? They get together, unite themselves in a confederacy without ceasing to be a perfect state, meaning a state with all the powers of any other country. State just means a government. So they have all the powers of any other country. Just like it says in the Declaration, right, of Independence. The state of New Jersey is the same as the state of Great Britain, right? They have all those powers. And that is very, very important to remember. And in this, you'll notice he quotes um, Emmerich de Vaudel a lot. He's one of the guys the Founding Fathers quoted a lot. Benjamin Franklin said, every one of us carries our de Vaudel. With us as congressmen in the begin, you know, in the days when they were writing the uh, Declaration of Independence, so he quotes him a lot. And I would advise you, you know, as you're learning, going through your St. George Tucker, and you got your Constitution open, and your St. George Tucker, and you're reading, write down in your commonplace book the things he quote, you know, that he quotes or that he cites from these other people, and then go look that up too. And that see, that's the kind of thing, that's the heavy lifting I'm talking about that prepares you to play the kind of role that we need as a son of liberty 2.0. All right. So regarding the retention of authority that the states retained upon making the uh, federal government, upon creating it with the other states, how much did they retain? This is what St. George Tucker wrote in view of the Constitution. The state governments not only retain every power, jurisdiction, and right not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, but they are constituent and necessary parts of the federal government. And without their agency in their political character, there could be neither a Senate nor a President of the United States, the choice of the latter depending immediately and of the former, immediately upon the legislatures of the several states. In other words, you can't reduce states to just provinces of the American empire and expect this government to work. It won't work. It isn't working. It hasn't worked for many generations now. Why? Because 
the states have allowed themselves to be bribed by the federal government. The people have allowed themselves to be robbed by the state and federal government. So we're all in this sort of codependent relationship now. But it can end. We can stop it. Right? We elect men who promise to abide by the Constitution and who promise to refuse to enact any unconstitutional act of the federal government. D.C., turn your back on that swamp. Too much money there, too much corruption. But you can have an influence on your state government. And you can show them this. You can teach them these things. Maybe you can run for your state government. State governor, state senator, state house of representatives, state whatever. Maybe you learn these things and maybe you say, you know what, I can have it. Because if you're one of 60 or one of 100, you can have an influence in your state. Right? And it's the states that he just said, these are the necessary parts of the federal government. See, they called the federal government, that meant the government between the states and the feds. That didn't just mean the general government. They used to call it the general government, meaning that what we call the federal government. But states are necessary because without them, how do you have, well, the 17th Amendment made it where you don't have, the states don't elect the senators. But regardless, you'd be a senator from where? You know, the president, how do we know how many electoral votes he got if there were no states? But we can't just have the, the pretend that those things exist. We have to have them exist or the Constitution won't function, guys. Period. The Constitution will stop functioning. It has stopped functioning because the states have allowed themselves and the people have allowed the states to just become subordinate to this almighty Leviathan of the federal government. Leviathan. Look that up in the Bible. All right. So the general powers, again from St. George, Tucker, again, blame his mama, not me, but don't mention it because she gets, she's very defensive. Don't mention it. The general powers, meaning the powers of the federal government, are limited. And the states, in all unenumerated cases, are left in the enjoyment of their sovereign and independent jurisdictions. If the states did not specifically grant in the Constitution authority to do something to the federal, they didn't grant to the federal government authority to do something, that authority is retained by the sovereign and independent states. They are the creators. The federal government is the creation. Do you understand? Simple. And when you read this, it's even simpler. Now, there may be, like I say, some vocabulary. You're like, oh, look. guys, I would not steer you wrong. All right. So if it's not clear enough, that line between the states and the feds and who has what power, because it's called the Four Corners Rule. We'll get to it in another podcast. But if the states did not grant specifically in the Constitution to the federal government some power, the states retain that power. Okay. And he says regarding the Tenth Amendment. The powers delegated to the federal government being all positive and enumerated, meaning there's no intended things that we didn't say. They are enumerated. They are listed. Okay? If it's not in the Constitution, we didn't intend to give them that power. There are no shadows. Like the Supreme Court said, yes, we know it's not in the Constitution, but it's in the penumbras of the Constitution, meaning the shadows. No, it isn't. They are positive, meaning 
They are written and they are seen and they are told and they are enumerated. They are listed according to the ordinary rules of construction, meaning what? Constructing contracts. Whatever is not enumerated is retained. If you and I have a contract to paint my house and you paint my house and you dig a pool and then you give me the bill for painting your house and digging the pool. I'll pay you for paying the house. I'm not fixing to pay you for digging the pool. Why? Because the law of contracts says if I didn't give you me, if I didn't give you the power to do something, you don't have that power. I retain it. Simple as that. The Constitution is a contract among all the independent and sovereign states granting to the general government, what we call the federal government, certain listed powers. If it's not on the list, it doesn't exist. Trademark. Ooh, I almost forgot to do that. If it's not on the list, it doesn't exist, at least as far as the federal government is concerned. All right. Tucker did not, St. George Tucker did not see the Constitution through rose-colored glasses. He knew that a, a piece of paper doesn't enforce itself. We can have a Constitution. It can be the greatest Constitution, and it was written by the wisest men, and it was. But so what? There is no liberty without virtue. Knowledge will forever govern ignorance. You can't be ignorant and free. If you do, you want what never was and what never will be. We can't be ignorant and expect to the Constitution to, hey, excuse me, President, just me, Constitution boy. I'm here to remind you that what you're doing is tyrannical. Thanks, Constitution boy. I'll stop right now. Another victory for Constitution boy. I'm off now to Congress. Nancy Pelosi. Ms. Pelosi, Mr. McConnell, Mr. McConnell, never mind, Constitution, boys, off to the Supreme Court. You know what I'm saying? Constitution doesn't enforce itself. You got to have the people in the state saying, oi, uh-uh, not allowed to do that, sir. Right? And if you had that enough, they maybe they'll stop doing it. Here's what St. George Tucker wrote. All governments have a natural tendency towards an increase and assumption of power. Shocker. And the administration of the federal government has too frequently, already in 1803, too frequently demonstrated that the people of America are not exempt from this vice in their constitution. Meaning the federal government, we're not, we're not uh, immune from the federal government trying to grab more power. We have seen that parchment chains are not sufficient to correct this unhappy propensity. In other words, to keep them from trying to be tyrannical. There are nevertheless capable, they are nevertheless, these the Constitution, capable of producing the most salutary effects for when broken, they warn the people to change those perfidious agents who dare to violate them. A lot of words you need to look up, but basically he says, do you know what? The Constitution can't enforce itself, but we can use the Constitution to get rid of anyone who holds office under the Constitution who lied to God when they put their hand on a Bible and swore to God to support and defend the Constitution, we can get rid of them. Simple as that. That's what he said. We can change those perfidious agents who dare violate the Constitution. And we should. And if we don't, then we deserve to be ruled by tyrants, because we're just slaves. We don't want to think for ourselves. 
we don't want to have the current liberty is dangerous freedom is dangerous right and we don't want if we don't want to do that then we deserve what the government we get right all right what then could keep the people powerful enough to throw off a tyrant if tyrants going to tyrant which they do how will the people and what if the states decide not to stand up what do we do saint george sucker had an answer for that he wrote this may be considered as the true palladium of liberty now you see the rest of this is not going to make any sense to you unless you know what palladium means this may be considered as the true palladium of liberty the right of self-defense is the first law of nature in most governments it has been the study of rulers to confine this right within the narrowest limits possible wherever standing armies are kept up and the right of the people to keep and bear arms under any excuse whatsoever is prohibited liberty if not already annihilated is on the brink of destruction if the government prohibits in any way whatsoever the right of the people all the people to keep and bear arms then he says liberty if you haven't already lost it you're about to guys you have to wait to buy a gun you have to pass a federal bat no no i want to see gun vending machines the second amendment hasn't been restored until i can go to a store that sells guns give the man the money and take my gun home that's when the second amendment no and i should be able to if i can afford an f-16 i should have one in the backyard there is no excuse that our servants in politics are better armed than us that makes no sense and as he says it has been the study of rulers to confine this right within the narrowest limits possible do you do you think they care about the kids you think that's what's no what motivates this is uh like what's his name eric swalwell that congressman he's like what are you gonna do you're gonna shoot your f-15 at my you're gonna shoot your ar-15 at my f-16 go ahead guys that's the thing liberty if you see that the government is at all restricting the right of the people to keep and bear arms then liberty if not already dead is dying look up palladium i'm going to give you this one for free palladium was the statue of athena kept in troy that was supposedly safeguarded the city of troy it's palladium because another name for athena was pallas p-a-l-l-a-s pallas athena the statue of her was called Pallas Athena. It was meant to safeguard, thought to safeguard the city of Troy. So in English, we took that and meant palladium is anything that safeguards something. So the right to keep and bear arms is the palladium of liberty, that which safeguards our liberty. So the fearlessness, the, the historically sound defense explanation of the Constitution and the limited powers of the federal government and how people should respond and who the states are all of that spells out very clearly why nobody studies this book anymore why nobody knows who saint george tucker is and 
why the establishment has scrubbed his name, his legacy, his works, and his very memory from Americans. Because if we start reading that stuff, we might start doing that stuff, and that ain't good for the tyrants, right? St. George Tucker, we cannot let his light be hidden under a bushel. He is a man whose book deserves to be read by anyone who claims to be a friend of the Constitution. We, as a birthday present, guys, let's give St. George Tucker a man who deserves to be known. Let's give him the gift of reading the Constitution and of reading the book. You can get it for free on Liberty Fund, too. You don't have to buy the hard copy. If you're someone who can stand to read stuff online, Liberty Fund let you have a PDF of this for free. So as a happy birthday to St. George Tucker, read the Constitution, read his book. You can read it for free online. And let's have his book view of the Constitution. Let's have it be recited and remembered by all those who are striving to restore the liberties granted to us by God and protected by the Constitution. I will see you all in a couple of days.